Welcome to Dentists, Puns, and Money. I am your host, Sean Terrell. And in this episode, it's another role reversal as I return to the hot seat and answer questions instead of dishing them out. This episode is a replay of a guest appearance I made on DEO's Growth Secrets podcast, and it was originally recorded and released in February of 2023. The podcast is hosted by Ken Kaufman, who has more than two decades of experience in the dental profession as an author, speaker, and as a chief financial officer of various dental organizations. Ken and I go in-depth on the three big things for dentists to sort out as they plan their transition out of clinical practice, and we also spend some time discussing the pros and cons of a Roth IRA conversion strategy, which is a little more on the technical side, but it's good information nonetheless. Hey, as a reminder, our company, Dentist Exit Planning, helps dentists leaving clinical with the financial piece of that transition, specifically how to build your financial treatment plan for your life after dentistry. If you're interested in guidance on your income and your taxes and social security as you exit clinical, you can schedule an initial consultation with us, no obligation. You can use our website to do that. Our website is dentistexit.com. And with that introduction, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ken Kaufman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of DSO Secrets. I am Ken Kaufman, your host today. Very excited for the topic that we're going to be talking about. It should be on all of our minds. But first, I want to go ahead and introduce our guest. Sean, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Tell them what you do, what your expertise is, and how long you've been in dental, and and then we'll jump into it. Sure. So uh, my name is Sean Terrell. I am the founder and the uh, lead financial advisor at Dentist Exit Planning, which is an independent financial services uh, company that I founded uh, myself, uh, registered in the state of Iowa, which is where I'm based, although I work with dentists all over the country. And my expertise is providing what I call personal financial planning for dentists who are soon to be or have recently exited clinical practice in some fashion. Outstanding. So let's, if you're okay, let's just go ahead and jump into this. You're obviously talking to a lot of dentists. Sometimes they might have one or two or three practices and they're obviously they've spent a lifetime or some portion of a lifetime trying to build up this asset, which is this business, which has lots of value, but patients that come in and treatments being done and it's generating revenue and profitability and those sorts of things. If you were to, if I was to ask you, you know, what are the three top considerations that if I'm about to sell, that I should be thinking about to so that I can get my personal finances kind of tightened up and ready to go. Maybe tell me, like, what's the right timing to engage somebody like you? And then mm-hmm. what are kind of the top three considerations that could be massive foot fouls uh, for these dentists and cost them a lot of money in, into retirement? Sure. No, good questions. I think uh in terms of ideal timing, like, look, you know, sometimes people tell me they want to leave in three months, other times it's, you know, six years. So uh, in general, the longer the runway you have to get some of these things in place and plan, the better. That being said, you can't start planning too far out. I like to use four years as like the end of the runway in the in the longest amount of time that you'd probably want to start thinking about this. Just because in my experience, when you sell a dental practice, a lot of times they're doing a three-year look back on the valuation process in terms of the numbers there. And so four years gives us a little bit more time than that to start thinking about things. 
Uh, if you ask any business owner, let alone a dental practice owner, when they expect to exit their, their business, the most common answer given is always five years. So I try to stay away from five years. Three to four years is a good time. But hey, you know, okay. if if something changes and you want to do it sooner than later, uh, you know, we can always work with what we can work with. So that's sort of the time element of the question. Uh, in terms of the, the big three things to think about, I think number one is for a dentist to really spend some time thinking about what I, what I call, what are you, the question I always ask is, what are you solving for? And what I mean by that is, what is how does money fit in, into your life and your lifestyle? So the first thing that I think needs to occur is for a dentist to do an honest assessment of their life and their lifestyle. You know, some dentists are perfectly happy living on $10,000 a month. Other dentists, the number is three or four times that amount of money. So uh, if you're trying to come up with $10,000 a month in terms of how much cash flow you need post-clinical, that's one equation. If it needs to be $50,000 a month, well, that's an entirely different equation too. And it's my job to tell people, uh, you know, how likely that is or that isn't what they're trying to solve for. And that's important too, because as most dentists know, there's it's not uncommon to find some personal expenses that find their way onto the business balance sheet. So as you, and this is, you know, they do this when they add do add backs with practice valuations too, right? But you're really trying to separate the cream from the coffee in terms of what is it really costing you to live on a monthly or a yearly basis in terms of how much cash flow is needed for the lifestyle that you desire post-clinical. So that's the first piece. Figure out, you know, what does lifestyle really look like and try to do an honest assessment of that. The, the closer you can get to, to a number, the better. Um, the second step, once you do that is... And, and real quick, Sean, I just want to interrupt you for a second. And so, for example, let's say a, a dentist walks into you and says, you know, here, here's my number. And you say, hey, based on like what you're telling me your business is worth or what, what you've been offered for so far, that you're just not going to have enough. I mean, is it is it a factor of them either changing their expectations on on what their post-clinical income is going to be? Or do you tell them, hey, maybe you need to get heads down and build this practice up a little bit more and make it worth more money um, so that you can support that lifestyle? Is, or is it some combination of both? I think it's a combination of both. So if, you know, if their practice, give or take, is worth four or 600000 on the low end, um, and they have a million dollars in their 401k and their investable assets outside of that, and they think they need $40,000 a month to live, or they want $40,000 a month to live post-retirement, it, you know, it's my job as any good clinician would tell a patient what's reasonable and what's not reasonable to tell them that's probably just not enough. Those things don't all fit together. So either you're going to have to compromise on what you want your life and your lifestyle to look like if you really want to or need to leave now, or as you said, you need to put your head down and, and get to work and figure out how to make your numbers outside of your practice be higher at some point in the future and also drive value up uh, in your practice and maybe stay a little bit longer than you, you thought you wanted to, um, to, to, to to increase that multiple and increase that that net number that you're going to take. Uh, when you exit your practice. So again, it gets back to what are you solving for? What's acceptable to you? And what are you willing to or not willing to compromise on lifestyle or time still in dentistry? Perfect. That's great. And I, I did cut you off there. I asked for the three considerations. So what are the, what are the other two that that you think are the most critical as as uh, dentists are thinking about exiting? Yeah. So the, the second one is, and, and thanks for, I don't mind being cut off, interrupted anytime and ask <laughs> good follow-up questions where I haven't been clear enough or you think it would be helpful for the, for the audience. I'm totally fine with that. Uh, but the second thing to think about as a dentist is leaving clinical is really 
getting together a strategy on how to uh, grow and distribute wealth post-clinical. So your practice is worth X amount of dollars and you have X amount of assets out, hopefully, outside of your practice in real estate or investable assets. That could be 401ks, IRAs, things like that. Um, and just to, you know, if, if to, to use a really simple, easy math example, um, you know, if, if your practice and all of your assets outside of your practice in total were worth a million dollars and you needed $50,000 per year to live, you could take that million dollars and put it in a savings account and take out $50,000 a year. And you can see that your money would last for 20 years. So those, that's a really easy low number. But what we know is that we probably want to give that million dollars a chance to grow somehow over that next 20 or 30 years to increase what's there and maybe increase how much we can can spit off with that million dollars each year. So you need to put together uh, some sort of a, a distribution and a growth strategy that fits in with your comfort level and your values for the next 20 or 30 years. And that's that brings up a kind of a, a sub point on that number two topic is, you know, you need to think about how long the money needs to last for. Are you relatively healthy? Are you in your late 50s? Or are you in your mid 70s? Are we solving for 15 or 20 years? Or are we solving for 30 or 35 or maybe even 40 years? That all factors in as well yeah, as... Let me lob a question at you here because... Um, most of us actually don't know how long we're going to live, right? And it right. seems like we, we we hear in the news that life expectancy is increasing. Um, medical advances, you know, there's a lot of things that have been occurring that are expanding the lifetime. And so, you know, if I'm a 50-year-old trying to decide when am I going to die, um, if that life expectancy keeps going up, like, so I'm, I'm curious, how do you sort of try to put that in a box? Because these are, you know, numbers. And if you invest it, you may or may not get the return that you're hoping for and all of those sorts of things. How do you, how do you tie all that together for, for the dentist that you're helping? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So, you know, you can run all sorts of simulations and Monte Carlo analysis as they call them in the industry. <laughs> And those are helpful to give you like a little bit of guidance and guardrails on kind of where you are in a rough estimate. It, in my, my belief is that you need someone along the way that's going to help you course correct over that 20 or 30 or 40 year journey, depending on what the conditions of that journey are. So I think my industry does a really bad job of selling people on certainty my position is that we can't possibly know what the next 30 or 40 years is going to look like. Let's get a rough estimate of what we think it's going to look like, start out on the journey, and then be in regular communication on course corrections that are needed over the course of time. So so there's, there's a process of try to get the best estimate you can and then know that you're going to need to iterate because maybe, you know, maybe the income needs change. Maybe there's a health crisis much earlier on. Maybe you end up living yes. past a hundred or whatever, right? You just have to be ready to course correct or iterate as you go. Like you said. Absolutely. I think that's more, it's very likely that that will be required. And I think my position is let's expect that let's plan for how we're going to react ahead of time or mm -hmm. when these inevitable course corrections are going to happen and what are we going to do then? And then when those inevitably happen to us, we're not thrown off. We're not surprised. We're not uh, upset or anxious because this 
straight line up isn't actually this 45 degree angle. It's all kinds of dips and mountains and everything else, right? That's right. Great. Okay. So sorry, we're we're getting through your three here. So keep keep going. Yep. And the only thing I want to add on number two was uh, sort of with that that distribution and, and growth strategy, I think you also needed to have an idea like, are you solving to bounce the last check that you write, as some people say jokingly, or yep. would you like something to be left behind for your children, for other causes that are important to you? Um, if we have $5 million, can we spend it all down or do we want to make sure there's X number of dollars left for whoever that all factors into the, the equation? Yeah, great, uh, great call out there because I, I see more and more, especially in the DSO world where you've got a lot of um, you know really high multiples and you know private equity coming in and doing transactions. I see and I'm hearing more and more about people looking at what they've earned and realizing it doesn't make sense for me to spend this in my lifetime. And so they then their mind immediately goes to generational wealth planning, which is a whole nother level of complexity in terms of what you want to have happen with that money and, and how it should be shared and, and so on and so forth. And again, the more leeway you can give somebody that's an expert in those areas, the more efficient you can be with whatever you want that plan to be. Mm-hmm. And the more time you have, the, the better off you can make that plan in the future in terms of of leverage and in terms of uh, leaving the most amount to whoever you want to leave it for and not letting the IRS take more than its fair share uh, off the top of whatever that leftover amount is, which leads me to point number three on the, the, the top three things I think a dentist should consider when, when exiting their DSO, exiting clinical. Uh, this one gets overlooked a lot, and I think it's going to be a big part of the future of financial planning as I see it, in that I think there needs to be a lot more proactive planning around taxes related mm-hmm. to personal financial planning for dentists. Taxes will almost always be the number one expense post-clinical, post-exit for a dentist in the last third or half of their life. And so the way most dentists come to me after a long career is almost, they're almost, uh, their experience with taxes has been in the rear view mirror, looking backwards. Right. And I th- think where there's a chance to really move the needle is by looking through the windshield, looking forward and being proactive. Uh, oftentimes, a dentist has deferred a lot of income into the profit sharing plan or their 401k. Uh, during their their practice years, their high earning years. And that's been a really good move because they were probably in the highest or if not one of the highest tax brackets. And so now they have all this money, this huge pool or this huge pile of money in a 401k or in some sort of IRA that will all be taxed at unknown rates in the future. And where there's real opportunity to not tip the IRS or give the IRS more than it's due is by in the late 50s through the mid 70s when required minimum distributions start kicking in for some of that money to really be proactive about putting a strategy together, getting a strategy in place about how and when you pay your taxes. And and last uh, point with that, and this is a really big point, is that most people, dentists and everybody else are accustomed to trying to solve to pay the least amount of taxes, the least whatever that dollar amount is each year in any given year, like they're always trying to make that number as low as possible that they see online, whatever it is on on, on the 1040. It's changed too many times. Who knows what line it is now, right? (laughs) 
My position is that the better way to look at that is actually to try to think about the total tax bill in retirement Mm -hmm. over the last 30 years of someone's life. And that's going to be in the seven figures for most dentists. Let's be honest. It's going to be well over a million dollars if someone has done a good job building and saving assets. Mm -hmm. And how can we make that total number lower than what it is with the default setting that we currently have? How can we sand off the rough edges of that seven-figure tax bill in retirement to make it just a little bit less painful than it than it is if we continue on the current pace? So getting a, a plan in place, looking out the windshield instead of the rearview mirror with taxes, so, so critical. This is... This is a very interesting set of, um, you know, sort of top three considerations. And I want to jump into this tax one a little bit. As you know, Sean, I early on in my career, I was in the the financial planning world, stockbroker world, you know, back in the day when you actually had to call somebody to buy a stock. You didn't just open up that E-Trade account or whatever. Um, <clears throat> there's some interesting things happening with what with the Roth uh, options versus your pre-tax options. And, you know, I, I'm the nerd that does that runs all the numbers. I'm sure you do, too. Like, we love our spreadsheets and we love to run analysis. But the interesting thing is, is if we believe that taxes are going to go up in the future, then um, moving any dollars that are have not been taxed yet over, like, there, there's an interesting potential strategy for that. And and likewise, if you think taxes are going down, there's a potential strategy for that. And and, uh, and and planning for the future. And some of that is, you know, just taking a wild guess and then being being willing to iterate as you go. When I say wild guess, it's an educated guess. Um, but I'm curious what your take is on that of, you know, somebody who's a dentist 40, 50, 60 years old, and, you know, should, is there sometimes... A, re- a reason, like a viable reason to start paying some tax on some of that before you get you get it off into those later years. Like basically I'm saying convert it from a taxable account to a non-taxable account, which like yep. would be some type of a Roth structure. Yep. So what you're referring to is something called a Roth IRA conversion strategy, where you're converting mm-hmm. pre-tax IRA or 401k dollars into a Roth IRA and ex- and basically saying, I would rather, I think taxes are going to be the same or higher in the future than they are right now. And I'm going to pay the devil that I know and pay my taxes now because I can save 2%, 4%, 10% on that million dollars over my lifetime if I pay it now, the devil that I know, instead of paying it out over the next 30 or 40 years. That's a so great that's way a very, it. It's a very, very popular strategy right now. And, and here's the thing. Taxes are guaranteed to go up in the next four years based on the current tax code and legislation that's in place. The Tax Cut and Jobs Act is set to expire or sunset at the end of 2025. So you have three tax brackets in in there to get a little bit more micro that are guaranteed to go up by a few percentage points or several percentage points, depending on what bracket. So, you know, it makes sense now Then it makes sense to pay 22 percent tax on the bracket that's going to be 24 percent. Or, or 28 or 32, like the, the mm-hmm. math there, I don't want to get too big into the numbers, but you can kind of see where I'm going. Yeah. And that uh, it, it might make sense to accelerate paying your tax bill in retirement if you can pay a lower amount now. Yeah. And then you have to offset that with, well, what if I took those dollars and instead of 
you know, paying the tax now? What if I use those dollars and invested them? Could I ultimately create? And, and it's all of this ends up being a combination of probably all of it. It's and and I heard somebody I don't know who coined the phrase at first. You might know, but tax diversification, just like we say asset diversification. There's yep. actually tax diversification where you have taxable accounts, non-taxable accounts. You're doing things to maximize or optimize the tax brackets from year to year and and all of those sorts of things. I, if you can't, like I'm fascinated by the financial planning world. And I know that so many of the dentists are worried about this, about when, when I'm going to exit and am I going to have enough and how do I make sure that I'm, you know, optimizing what I can get. And, and obviously the tax, but like you said, you said that's their biggest bill, after clinical, it's probably their biggest bill during clinical too. In many instances, <laughs> I was trying to be kind. <laughs> it is yeah, for it's all. Probably of them. Their, it probably yeah is their biggest bill um, uh, throughout their lifetime. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's yeah. thirty to forty percent of their expenses. Um, and uh, yeah, just to maybe add on to the tax piece of things. So mm-hmm. one one last piece of that I would say too is you know, it's just not a good solid strategy. You talk about tax diversification. It's a really good strategy to in retirement have some bucket, some big chunk of money that is not subject to any taxation in the future. So if you need to get your hands on a chunk of money in the future, you don't have to take 30 or 40% more than you actually need to net it down. What it would, you know, like if if you take a million dollars out of a tax, tax deferred account, uh, you're going to need to take 1.4 or 1.5 to net a million dollars. So yep. getting money converted into post-tax places like Roth IRAs is a really good place to have a chunk of money. And then you also are putting yourself in a position where you do eventually get to the age that you are required to start taking distributions out of those pre-tax accounts, yep. RMDs. Uh, you're, those RMDs are not so big as to push you into higher tax brackets that you, than you really want to be to from a Medicare surcharge perspective and a whole host of other areas as well. So yeah, tax diversification, having a plan in place, huge. That's fantastic. So this has been really helpful, these these top three considerations. Um, I wanted to ask a follow-up question, just kind of an overarching general one here, um, Sean. And it is, so as I'm thinking about selling my practice. We talked about maybe what's the right time to engage an advisor to help you think about planning for, you know, tax and and um, having enough money to live on and all of those sorts of things. I'm curious, um, what, what, what advice would you give dentists right now that are in their earning years? And they've got a high amount of income because they're, you know, they're great dentists. They do a great job taking care of their patients. They've, they've built a great practice or, you know, say, a, you know, two to three practices. And, you know, so their income's coming in. Um, here's my question. And I, cause I hear this all the time. Dentists struggle with when should I take the money out um, and start diversifying outside of my practice versus leave it in and build and grow. Because especially those of us that are entrepreneurs, we all believe that we're going to create a much better return on our money than the stock market will. Um, it, now, in any given year, maybe that's that wouldn't be true. But if a dentist entrepreneur can look and say, hey, I'm going to, if if I, instead of taking this money out and investing in things outside of my business, if I keep it in and I invest in this equipment and I invest in expanding this office and I build an office over here, um, I that can create a great return. How do you, and I'm curious if you run into this discussion and and how do you kind of coach these dentists? Because I get asked this question a lot, mm-hmm. actually. 
Um, when when is it time to start taking money out of the practice and diversifying versus leave it in and just keep growing? You know, I'm full bore. Go go go. So just to make sure I understand the question correctly, just use a really easy example. Let's say a dentist nets $500,000 from their solo practice. They need $300,000 to live on. They have $200,000 in profit that has some optionality around it. Yeah. They could leave it. And they, let's assume they already have an emergency cushion in the practice that they don't need that for just cash reserves. What do you do with that $200,000? I think it really depends on the dentist and what they want their their life to look like. So my first question, if someone posed that to me, would be to throw it back at them and just see how they react to this. What do you think you should do? And <laughs> that is probably going to lead me in a direction that I can, you know, try to steer them where I think they deep down subconsciously want to go anyway. And I think it really depends. Do you want to grow in scale? And I know you were a guest on my podcast and we kind of talked about that same question too. Like that's sort of a pretty big, big inflection point for a dentist is like, do you just want to keep it with two docs in one location or do you really want to start stacking things on top of each other mm-hmm. um, to use, <laughs> to put it very crudely in my words. Um, so, so that's a really tough question. And I, I like the way you think about it. You think that you can get a better rate of return by taking that $200,000 and using it as a down payment to buy a second practice and creating more leverage and, and more, and more scale there. That's absolutely a way you could go with it. You could also pay down debt. You could also, um, yeah, you could reinvest in the practice by buying more, more equipment and do more procedures that way. So there's a lot of different things you could do. That's the $64,000 question. Um, I don't know if I'm totally answering it. This I think there's a lot of different options and I think they're all good options. It really just depends on what the dentist wants their next yeah. 20 or 30 years to look like. And I, and I tell people this all the time. I'll get people, I'll get dentists that just hate debt and they're like, I've got this 3% loan and I know I should invest this extra money, but I can't, I really just want to pay off this load and be debt free. And I just tell people there's a, there's a money, there's a math aspect of financial decisions and there's an emotional component (laughs) of financial decisions. Like the math says that if you got a 3% loan fixed for the next 10 years, you should probably not accelerate that payment in the current market conditions we're in February, 2023. Um, But if they hate debt and that, makes them sleep better at night to have that debt gone as fast as possible, then I, I tell people to pay it off. Great so point. In a roundabout way, I, I hope I answered that question. It, it really depends on kind of what they want the future to look like. And I think all options are good. That's right. And what's your vision? And then I think too, one thing you hinted to this, I'll just articulate this out a little bit further. There's also a, a, an amount of risk tolerance where mm. at some point it's like, they they feel better taking some money out, setting it aside, maybe making sure the kid's college education is funded and maybe they pay off their house or, you know, there are those that want to be, cons- that, that feel more conservative and, and are more risk averse that would rather use their cash to do that. And then there are others that say, hey, I want to, I'm going to double down here. Mm-hmm. And my practice just generated 200,000 of extra cash and I'm going to use that to go and do X. I think the one thing you and I would agree on here, Sean, more than anything else is before you spend the 200,000, make sure you've paid in your quarterly estimated taxes because <laughs> the biggest pain is when that dentist gets the bill and they just bought a boat and they're um and then they find out that they need $50,000 to pay taxes or $25,000 to pay taxes or something like that. So uh, make sure you know your safe harbor number and hit that safe harbor number, right? 
That's right. Yeah. 110% of what you paid prior year or yeah, whatever. Yep. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, Sean, with every guest uh, that we bring on, uh, when I interview them, I, I like to ask a, a series of lightning round questions. Okay. So these seven questions, I'm going to fire them at you looking for quick answers. No, no need for long explanations unless um, it intrigues me enough that I sort of like, we need to unpack something there. Um, okay. So first question, what are you currently working on? So I am building a new website to to make my uh, website better than it is. I don't think it reflects my brand and, and the value that I offer. So that needs to get done right away in 2023. Also working on a Facebook group that I want to get off the ground here uh, by the end of the first quarter. Oh, outstanding. Oh, and by the way, I'm remembering when you and I were on the podcast together, because um, your podcast, uh, remind me the name of it. Dentists, Puns, and Money. Yeah, and so you asked me for a favorite joke of mine. So I'm you're going to get eight questions here. I'm going to ask you what's your what's your favorite. Oh, joke? I didn't prep for the joke, but I got one. I just thought of one. Okay. Oh, do I give the joke now? Yeah, let's do it. I'm just stealing this from. This might have been the joke that you gave me. <laughs> just trying to remember a corny joke that somebody used on mine. Um, what do you call a dinosaur that doesn't like to brush their teeth? No idea. A floss o raptor. <laughs> there you go. I love I'm it. I'm sure if that's the right delivery of the joke, but dentist oh. puns and money. That's yep. and by the way, go check out uh, Sean's uh, podcast. I, I think the episode we recorded will be there, you know, on there soon. But Sean has great guests on, and I'd encourage you guys to engage with that. Okay, what are you the most proud of in your life, Sean? Uh, that I bet on myself and went on my went out on my own a couple of years ago. Good for you. That's awesome. Love to hear that. Favorite sports team? Big fan of the Iowa Hawkeyes. If you've noticed uh, the water cup I'm sipping from uh, I, throughout, throughout our time today, uh, every Iowa football game and basketball game, I'm usually in front of the TV or in the stands for. Outstanding. Do you travel with the team much, by the way? Not too much at this point. I've got young kids, so uh, I, I just uh, make sure that I can carve out to at least watch it on TV when, they, when, when they're playing live. Nice. All right. Uh, favorite um, hobby? I love to ride my road bike. Uh, I got into cycling a couple of years ago, and it's one of those things that I'm like, where has this been all my life? I can't get enough of it. Yeah, you and I talked about that. I'm, uh, I'm I'm similar. I love to get on my bike. The The winters in Utah are not forgiving, which means that I'm on my spin bike uh, during the winter times. But as soon as it's warm enough, I'm... Uh, Road biking and mountain biking. Okay. Um, favorite app on your phone? Uh, Amazon Music. I'm a huge music uh, aficionado. I love, uh, well, I like a lot of Pearl Jam's my my all-time band, but I love all genres and I like to curate and build my own playlists for different occasions and moods and things like that. Outstanding. I love it. Your favorite spreadsheet function? I am not a spreadsheet guy. I don't know anything about spreadsheets. Are you kidding me? No, that's uh, I, I missed that class in college or somewhere thereafter. I guess there's AI that can do it for you now, but I haven't even gone down that road. I'm back of the I'm, I'm a calculator guy. All right. So your favorite spreadsheet function is AI. We'll just call it that then. <laughs> OK, that's awesome. So and you do you have one of the old school calculators that d does the calculation of time value of money and all of that stuff? Yeah, like every once in a while I'll get into them. But um, uh, I've. Uh, I've, tr I've tried to 
follow this acronym called KISS as I've gotten older. Do you know what KISS yep. stands for? Oh, yeah. Keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. So yep. um, sometimes I like to do the analysis on my end, however I do it, and then try to draw it in crayon uh, when I can for the clients that I work with. Yeah, that's no, my that's my intention. It doesn't always come out in crayon, but um, that's what I try. That's awesome. It makes sense. All right. Um, if you had one piece of advice to give to dental practice owners today, uh, what what would you tell them? Man, um, I'm a big believer in paradigms being a bad thing. I would challenge people to think about their current life and how their practice and career fits into that. And if they're truly happy, and if they're not, to ask themselves if the way they're doing it is the way that it has to be done, or is there a different way to pull back and figure out a better way to do it so you can live the life that you want to live in dentistry, outside of dentistry, and just challenge uh, paradigms that might exist in, in, in the profession and just life in general. Outstanding. I, we're all guilty of kind of fitting into routines and following sort of paths and patterns that uh, often when we ask ourselves those questions, we realize, wait, now, why am I doing this? And <laughs> we start to realize that maybe, you know, maybe there's a better way, a different way, or or maybe the entire way just needs to be abandoned altogether, right? Yeah, Tim Ferriss is a, is a podcaster and kind of a, mm-hmm. a guru that I follow. And uh, he has yeah. this question that I I have to remind myself of this all the time which is what would it look like if this were easy or does it have to be this hard? Yeah. How am I complicit in making it this hard? So um, I'm talking to myself as much as the audience. When I share some of the stuff, I am a work in progress by all accounts. Fair point. I'm uh, I'm in a similar place. All right. So Sean has been absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. Um, you are in the Facebook group. So if any of you have any you know, financial planning related questions about uh, you know, where you're at now or, or thinking about selling and, and needing to start to think about planning for the future, um, definitely are uh, anyone in the um, DSO Growth Secrets uh, Facebook group, definitely you can ping Sean there. And then Sean, what are the other ways for them to reach out to you? Yeah, my email is uh, Sean, S-H-A-W-N at DentistExit.com. So my website is also DentistExit.com. You can find a lot of information there. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I don't know for how long, but at least I am for right now. And uh, yeah, it's not too hard to find me on those places. Awesome. Yeah, it sounds like Instagram is where you're asking yourself, is there an easier way to do this, right? <laughs> I'm playing around. You got to try everything before you say you don't like it, right? I, I don't know yet. I'm on the fence. There's a lot of dentists on Instagram, but I can't tell if late career, late stage dentists are hanging on Instagram or not. If they are, let me know. Look me up there. Dentist Exit is my my handle on Instagram. That's fantastic. Great. Well, Sean, thank you so much uh, for joining the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Um I uh, just as a quick wrap up here, as uh, we get ready to end the episode again, thank you to Sean, Uh, many, many thanks to all of you who have joined in and listened, uh, whether it was in the Facebook group or via the podcast, Um, we encourage you to like the podcast. And, and just keep engaged with us. Come over to the Facebook group, ask your questions. It's amazing. We get 
So we get like three to five questions a day in there from practicing dentists and and other uh, folks that are trying to help run dental organizations. And it's a it's a great place to curate ideas and and to have a little mini mini mastermind. So I encourage you guys to do that. Again, many many thanks to everybody who joined today. This is a wrap on all things dentist exit planning. Happy day. Thanks for listening and following along. Are you a dentist nearing your retirement from clinical or have you already hung up your handpiece? Would you like a treatment plan for the financial components of your exit from clinical? Our company, Dentist Exit Planning, helps dentists like you reduce taxes in retirement and optimize how to best live off your assets, including the ideal time for you to start taking Social Security. If you'd like guidance on those critical pieces or just a second opinion, schedule an initial consultation with us on our website. Our web address is dentistexit.com and there's no obligation for your initial consultation. That website again, dentistexit.com. As a reminder, Dentist Exit Planning and Terrell Advisors LLC is a registered investment advisor. The information presented should not be interpreted or construed as investment, legal, tax, financial planning, or wealth management advice. It does not substitute for personalized investment or financial planning from Dentist Exit Planning or Terrell Advisors, LLC. Please consult with your accountant and attorney for tax and legal advice. This podcast conveys the views and opinions of Sean Terrell and his guests, and the information herein should not be considered a solicitation to engage in a particular investment, tax planning, or financial planning strategy. Information presented is for educational purposes only, and past performance is not indicative of future results.